like to invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now our brother Dean will bring us this morning's message. Jesus wants you with him forever. Jesus wants us with him forever. Subtitled, The Battle is for Our Mind. The Battle for Eternity. Two forces vie for our affection and loyalty. One brings us eternal destruction. The other brings us eternity with our Savior. The choice could not be more clear. Two texts this morning I'd like to focus on. They're amazing texts. And they put into focus what we're trying to say this morning. John 1.9. That was the true light which lighteth every man which cometh into the world. Romans 12.3, God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. These beautiful texts tell us God has put within everyone born a desire to know him, a desire to worship him, and a desire to be transformed by him. A light that lighteth every man born, and God gives to everyone a measure of faith. So therefore the battle is for our minds and our will, our decision making. There is a part of our brain where God actually communicates with us. He has placed there a desire for us to know him. So as we go on this morning, please remember the two texts. John 1, 9. God puts his light into everyone born and he gives everyone born a measure of faith so that we are without excuse Remember, the battle is for our mind. We will look this morning at different characters in Scripture where this battle of the mind plays out in vivid detail. But before, the, before we do that, I'd like to relate a story, a story about a well-known and loved person in history of yesteryear, Isaac Watts. He wrote many hymns. He wrote many poems. Isaac Watts was a poet from the time he was born, it seemed. Poetry just seemed to pour out of his mouth. His father got so tired of it, everything he said was a poem. His father finally said to him, if you don't stop making poems, I'm gonna give you a whipping. Isaac tried, but he could not stop. So one day his father took him out to the old woodshed, intending to give him a whipping. Isaac looked up at him and said, Father, please some mercy take, and I will no more verses make. <laughs> One day, Isaac was in church. 
at a prayer meeting. He heard a rustling over his head. He looked up and saw a rope coming down from the balcony, and a little mouse was climbing down that rope. He could not help himself. As soon as the prayers were finished, he said, the little mouse, for want of stairs, came down the rope to hear the prayers. He continued to write poetry until thoughts like this came from his pen. I sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. Page 88 in your hymnal. Poems and songs poured forth from his pen. He became very famous, as you know. One day in Old England, they had a parade for him, and the queen was also there in the parade. People came out to see the queen, but many came out to see Isaac Watts. He was a small little man, about five feet tall. He was in a small carriage pulled by stately horses. On a balcony overlooking the street, two ladies stood, anxious to see the great Isaac Watts. The truth was, he was a very small man. When they saw him, they were shocked, and one of them couldn't help but saying out loud, What? You are Isaac Watts? Isaac heard her. He stood up in his little carriage, reached out his small arms, and said these immortal words. Could I in fancy reach the poles, or hold creation in my span? I'd still be measured by my mind, for the mind is the measure of a man. This morning, we'll keep our two texts in mind as we proceed. Our two texts from scripture about God gives everyone born a light. And he also gives everyone born the measure of faith. We'll look today first at Herod, so-called Herod the Great. Herod the Great, he was, when Jesus was born, the Jewish nation was under great oppression by Rome. The Roman Empire was vast and seemingly indestructible, suspicion, doubt, and intrigue on every hand. Matthew tells us Jesus was born in the days of Herod the king. This king was evil, personified under the control of Satan. Here he was king of the Jews, but that was, and he was the worst king possible. He suffered severe physical deterioration and psychological issues during his final years of life, from 13 years onward to the time of Christ's birth. Earlier in his reign, he had ordered the execution of Marianne, his beloved wife. Later, he ordered the execution of both of his sons because they were plotting to take his throne he heard about it. Somebody reported them, and he executed them. Later on, he executed his third remaining son. That happened in 7 BC. He was obsessed with threats to his throne, both external and internal. So it was not surprising that when Jesus was born, and he heard about a Messiah, that he ordered the death of all baby children under two years of age. That was Herod the great. He vested his life in building things, things that would not last, palaces, cities, temples, harbors, stadiums, theaters. History is full of his works, what he did, beautiful gardens. One of his most famous was at Masada. 
that tall hill rising up out of the desert 1,300 feet. There he built a palace that to this day is known and is still there. However, the palace with all its glory, gardens, is no longer in that way. It's a desolate place. Archaeologists go there now to study. It rises out of the Dead Sea. It lies dormant and barren and empty. Archaeologists have recently discovered a jar fragment which on it is written in Latin, Herod the Great, the King of the Jews. How ironical that he was called that when Jesus was also called the King of the Jews. It is of so much interest that Christ was given the same title by Pilate. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Only Jesus' term was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Herod, in considering this man, known to history, to the Bible record, we need to understand that he met Jesus face to face. He had a chance to learn of salvation. He did, as did Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Herod had the opportunity to be changed, to be born again. Here he, were, here he was, an earthly king of the Jews. He should have known the scriptures. He should have known. He should have known the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. We have this record in scripture, in Luke 23, 8 and onward. When Herod saw Jesus, let's remember these words, he was exceeding glad. When Herod saw Jesus, the scriptures tell us he was exceeding glad. He would live to rue those words. For he was desirous to see him of a long season because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. Here was the bad motive. And he questioned with him in many words, but he answered him nothing. Jesus said nothing to him. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. And Herod with his men of war, men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Herod met the Savior of the world face to face and perceived it not. When Jesus said not a word, when Herod mocked him, it suggests strongly that Herod had passed his probation. He had passed his probation. Jesus had no words to Herod. Herod, it seemed, was doomed. He will rise in the first resurrection of the damned when Jesus comes. Can you even imagine that scene? Herod comes out of his dusty grave and looks up. To his horror, he recognizes this same Jesus that stood before him. And he mocked. Now surrounded by millions of angels, Herod is lost. How do we know that Herod will rise to see Jesus come in the clouds of heaven? There's a text that tells us that, Revelation 1.7. It says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. They also which pierced him. Herod will qualify for that. And all kindreds of the earth will wail because of him. Yes, this evil man will see him coming in the clouds. He will realize his worst nightmare. The Galilean is now king of kings and lord of lords. Herod had no excuse. 
God had given to him that light which lighteth every man that's born into the world. And he had given to Harold that measure of faith which he gives to every man born and every woman born. But he rejected it. He's lost forever. Let us remember that phrase from Luke 23 that Herod was exceeding glad when he saw Jesus before him that day. He will not be glad at this time. It will be his worst day he's ever lived. Revelation 7, 1, 7 again says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. There's a prophecy that will be fulfilled. We next come to Pilate, one of the most sad figures in the New Testament. At one moment in time, it seems he almost came down on the side of Christ, of Jesus. He ruled just a short ten years as the government representative in Palestine from Rome. To the Christians of all ages since, he, is, he has been known as a cowardly man, as a weak man, in condemning the Lord of glory to crucifixion. He committed murder in Rome and was then sent to Judea to be the governor there. The historian Josephus tells us of many things Pilate did. One was, into the temple, into the holy temple of the Jews, he sent in some golden shields inscribed with Roman pagan gods just to mock the Jews. On another occasion, he came into the temple and stole the temple money and used it to build an aqueduct. On yet another occasion, even worse, he came in where the Jews were worshiping and killed them, slaughtered them inside the temple. Another historian tells us that Pilate took his own life six years later discouraged and distraught. It seems that he never forgot the face of Jesus and his demeanor as he stood before him. On that day, by washing his hands after he gave the order to, for Christ to be condemned, by washing his hands, he did not lessen his guilt. It only made it worse. The record of Pilate is recorded in all the four Gospels as well as it's mentioned in Acts and in Timothy. Let's, let's read from that this morning, John 18. John 18, starting about verse 29. Pilate then went out into them, unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a male factor, we would not have delivered him unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Then verse 33, when, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? He seemed to soften here, didn't he? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. In the words of that day, that meant you said rightly. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into this world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? 
And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Here you find Pilate softening again towards Jesus. But ye have a custom that I would release unto you one, of the Pass one at the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring you forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Again we find Pilate softening. Then Jesus came forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto him, Behold the man. Again you get the sense that he was softening. When the chief priest therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out again, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find, here it is again, no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he was more afraid. We see him softening again. And went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speaketh thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? And then Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from henceforth Pilate sought to release him. We see him softening again. I'm reminded of the book of Acts where Felix said to Paul that day, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me. The Bible story strongly suggests that Pilate wavered. He repeatedly softened to look as he looked on Jesus. But even Pilate had that God-given light implanted in him at birth. And he had that God-given measure of faith that we've talked about. He chose to ignore it. He chose to come up in the first resurrection with Herod, his old pal. They will stand together with Satan, realizing that this Jesus they knew, who was standing right in front of them, was the Son of God. Now coming in the clouds of heaven, he realizes he is a lost man. After he knows this, he will be destroyed by the brightness of his coming. Remember, Revelation 1.7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye will see him, and they also which pierced him. So Pilate has an appointment with Jesus, again, not of his own making. He will see Jesus coming down to earth, and Pilate cries out, What have I done? What have I done? Let's turn last to Caiaphas. The battle between Caiaphas and Jesus became an epic battle of cosmic proportions. A mighty event in the great controversy between Christ and Satan. Caiaphas is again one of the most tragic figures in the Bible. He was the religious leader of that time. He should have been a leader who was studying the scriptures, who should have known 
that a Messiah was expected and was coming. He was the custodian of the great heritage of Israel, descendants of the patriarchs and prophets of the Old Testament. Caiaphas loved his position and relished in the glory of it. As Christ with his ministry came upon the scene, the Israeli nation began to polarize. On one side was Caiaphas, the high priest. On the other side was the Galilean preacher. You see, the battle was for the mind of the people. In the great controversy, the battle has always been and will always be the battle for the mind and heart of everyone born. Caiaphas loved his position and relished in the glory, but the world that then was found that it was beginning to be polarized into two centers. On the one side was Caiaphas the high priest, the other was Jesus Christ, who claimed to be God. Caiaphas was the most powerful man in Judaism at the time of Christ. He had religious power that was absolute. He had civil power, civil authority, political authority. He was the head of some 20,000 priests at that time. They all moved at his command. These were the spiritual leaders of the nation. So suddenly on one side was Caiaphas leading a marvelous institution with a past history and heritage. On the other was Jesus Christ, the one who said he was a son of God. Where would you have stood as those two great forces began to collide? What would you have done? Jesus came to town and started doing some interesting things. He started tearing down the Pharisees' customs and rules and laws that they had made. Jesus befriended sinners, those whom the Pharisees wouldn't even talk to. Jesus started healing sinners who had leprosy. Remember in that day, if you had a disease, that was because you sinned. Jesus went to dinner with publicans and common people and talked to them about salvation and offered salvation to them. Jesus went to eat and talk with tax collectors who were hated by the Pharisees. Jesus let a prostitute bathe his feet with perfume just hours before he went to the cross and accepted her and gave her forgiveness. Jesus washed the disciples' feet hours before he went to the cross when in that day and age only servants did such a thing. Jesus' words hit the Pharisees very hard. He called them serpents and self-righteous people. Jesus healed the mentally ill and the devil-possessed people, those who the Pharisees wouldn't even touch or talk to. Jesus told stories and parables about the Good Samaritan, a people the Pharisees hated. Jesus preached sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, where he enlarged the Ten Commandments totally opposing what the Pharisees were all about. In this great struggle, with whom would you have cast your vote? Would you have sided with the recognized institutional authority, or would you have sided with the Galilean preacher? A question for all of us. On the high feast days, the Day of Atonement, all the people trembled at the presence of Caiaphas, the high priest. He was a representative before God. They believed this to be him, that God would speak through him to the people. He was the people's re representative. But the Pharisees were getting alarmed at Jesus' wisdom and the fact that the popular people's movement was occurring. 
This whole battle came to a high point as recorded in John 18. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, I know what I said. They know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stuck, stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of it. But if I spoke well, why do you smite me? In Matthew 23, Jesus had some very harsh words to those that were known as the Pharisees. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, but ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them to go in either. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you compass the sea and land to make one proselyte. But when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than you yourselves. Imagine Caiaphas hearing words like this. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe on mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought you to have done and to leave the other, not to leave the other undone. Then comes more, ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Ye thou blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, and the outside will be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within, full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. So finally, after three years of ministry, the forces were polarized, the lines were drawn, Jesus versus Caiaphas. Caiaphas had only one purpose, that was to save the institution. He missed why Jesus had come to the earth. He missed out on Jesus' ministry of salvation. He will one day pay dearly when he looks up into the heavens and sees Jesus coming back in the clouds of heaven. Jesus said, hereafter, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. In that day, Caiaphas will be standing on the side of Satan himself. Remember our verse, Revelation 1-7. Those that pierced him will see him coming. On one, on one occasion, Jesus said to the religious leaders, You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. We can visualize Caiaphas standing up and saying, This is blasphemy. I am the head of this religious people. And we open the door to salvation. And this man comes in and says, We shut the door. Jesus also struck at the financial structure of that church. 
one day. He said, you eat up the properties of widows while you say long prayers for appearance sake. You will obtain a severe sentence for this. Jesus had something else to say about their mission program. You travel over sea and land to make one convert. After you've won him, you make him twice as fit for hell as you are yourselves. Ouch. Is it any wonder that Jesus and Caiaphas were going to meet? These two men were heading for a showdown. People were beginning to sense the main event was upon them. Some were already seeing they had to stand on one side or the other. The people of Jerusalem were understanding that crisis was upon them. Caiaphas said, I am the leader of God's people. But Jesus came along and said, I am the resurrection and the life. Caiaphas said, come unto me and I will lead you. But Jesus said, come unto me and I will lay your burdens down. Caiaphas said, I will give you protection. Jesus said, I will give you rest and peace and salvation. Caiaphas said, come to my parade and see my brightly colored robes and finery. Jesus said, I will give you a robe of righteousness and salvation forevermore. Caiaphas said, trust me and follow me. Jesus said, I will acknowledge the sinner before my Father's throne in heaven. You know, Jesus told many parables and stories when on earth. One major one was about a wedding feast. Actually, this parable was out about the judgment at the end of time. It's in Matthew 22. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which did not have on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in here without a wedding garment? The next words are, Powerful. The Bible simply, simply says he was speechless. He was speechless. There it is. He had no excuse. Neither will we at the end of the world. We will have no excuse either if we've rejected the offer of Jesus. You know, we're all in the same boat. For everyone born was given a light from God in their mind and in their soul. And everyone was given that measure of faith. Caiaphas missed it. Or did he? He must have heard that angelic choir singing over Bethlehem Hills or heard about it. He must have heard of the wise men who came from Persia to bring gifts. He certainly knew of that 12-year-old boy in the temple answering questions far beyond his age. He certainly knew and had heard of John the Baptist's words when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That certainly was reported back to Caiaphas. He certainly had heard of Jesus' many miracles. He certainly knew that Lazarus was raised to life. Later, he certainly had firsthand of the temple veil being ripped from top to bottom by an unseen hand. And the most holy place that had been covered for centuries and only the high priest could enter there. And now it was open. The glory of God had departed. Because the real lamb was finally slain. How could he miss it? Or did he miss it? One day Caiaphas will come up in that resurrection at the second coming. Remember Revelation 1-7. Those that pierced him will see him come. 
Before he dies, however, there's three verses of scripture that it's well for us to review. They tell us that every knee will bow. He will bow before him who comes in the clouds because there are three places that tell us this. Isaiah 45, I am God and there's none else that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue swear. Romans 14, 11, For as it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 9 and onward. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Three places in scripture where it tells us, no matter which side you're on, one day you'll bow. Those that have accepted his redemption and his salvation will bow in adoration and glory to God. The others will bow because they realize God is just. At the end of the millennium, the redeemed will be in the new earth and they'll look out on that vast throng that have chosen the wrong side. There will be standing, along with that vast multitude, Herod and Pilate and Caiaphas. They are without any excuse, for Jesus gave to every man a light, and to every man a measure of faith. We'll close this morning with Revelation 21.2 and onward. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The next verse is one we all love. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, I, It is done, I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. I'm homesick for heaven, aren't you? May we this, this morning again determine that we'll accept Jesus' salvation and go home with him forever. Amen. Eternal Father, guide us in our pathway as we walk this earth's pilgrimage. Oh Lord, help us to know you as our personal Savior. And may your coming be soon. We long for your coming. We're homesick for heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.